You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. And I would like to invite up Greg, and he is going to read out our scripture for today, Matthew 2, 9 through 12. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold... The star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thank you, Greg. One of my favorite events growing up uh, was going to the mall and particularly going to see Santa Claus. You know, just like any other kid, I waited for the opportunity for when Santa Claus would ask me one question, you know, one question only. What do you want for Christmas, Julius? What do you want for Christmas? What is it that your heart desires for this upcoming Christmas? And like any other child, I would definitely have some things that I would want. And I believed in that moment that I would be able to get whatever I wanted. You know, particularly in the mid-90s, early, early 2000s, I wanted, you know, a bike, 10 speed. I wanted all the gears. I, of course, wanted PlayStation. And notice I didn't say PS2, PS3, or PS4. I am that old. I remember when the first PlayStation came out. And, of course, I wanted an Optimus Prime figurine, but not Optimus Prime as far as the Tonka truck and the Mack truck. I wanted Optimus Prime, the gorilla, who was in Beast Wars. And for those who are, you know, nerds out there, you can look it up. It is real. Beast Wars came before Transformers. But as I was thinking about that question, I really started to realize that the question of what do you want for, for Christmas really has an underlying issue. It truly does has an underlying issue because when we think about Christmas, it's really more about what we can get rather than what we can give. It's become about what we can get rather than what we can give. It's become about receiving and consuming rather than what is it we can give to others in order so that they can be completed. And so last week, Pastor Larry began our series, A Christmas Story, or A Christmas Journey. And he talked about how the gospel takes us from passivity to mission. It takes us from being passive to now being on mission in order to spread the gospel. And then this week, as we are going through Matthew 2, 9 through 12, we're going to be talking about how the gospel takes us from consumerism to generosity. It takes us from consumerism to generosity. And Pastor Larry talked about it as he was sharing with the kids. We have received the greatest gift of all time through Jesus Christ. And because of that, now we can give to others. Any act of generosity should flow from a heart of joy. 
any act of generosity should truly flow from a heart of joy. Joy that we know that we have been given the greatest gift of all time. We are a part of the greatest redemption story of all time through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we begin, I want to start us off, we're going to be really taking a look, particularly at verses 9 and 10 right now. And let me read out verses 9 and 10. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they reached and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What I love particularly about verses 9 and 10 is how the author here really truly does a great job of displaying the emotion of both or of all of the wise men here. In verse 10 particularly, it talks about how they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy, not just any type of joy, but great joy. And I could kind of relate to that as well. I mean, these wise men have been traveling for a long time. They have been traveling a long distance. And so as they just got done talking to Herod in verse 8, they now see that the star that they have been following has now rested on their intended destination. It's now rested. So their journey is about to come to an end. The location in which they have been searching for is now upon them, and they rejoice that the star has rested, they are about to see the king. And the way I think about it is, is if you've ever been on a long road trip, a really long road trip, and you've been driving for hours upon hours, and maybe sometimes for days upon days, and you look over to the center console and you see on your GPS, it finally says, your destination is two miles away, and all you have to do is turn left. Your destination is two miles away, and all you have to do is turn left. And I don't know about you, but you have probably been dealing with a lot during that long car ride. You have been dealing with people asking you constantly, are we there yet? Are we truly there yet? You have been dealing with kids hitting one another, and you telling them, stop hitting each other. You have dealt with people asking, can I go to the bathroom? When five minutes before, you stopped and asked them if they need to go to the bathroom, and they still now need to go to the bathroom once again. And then you've also dealt with the fact that when you look at your GPS, that all of a sudden, two hours now went to three and a half hours because there is an accident ahead of you. And so you're dealing with one thing after another, but then finally, two miles left, two miles to go, all you have to do is turn on the left. These wise men were excited because they have finally reached their intended destination. These wise men were excited because they had the opportunity to now see what they have been searching for for so long. And the example of the wise men is an important one and one that we must truly take note of. We must learn to have joy in the midst of our journey. We truly must learn how to have joy in the midst of our journey. We have joy in the midst of persevering, knowing that 
we have a promise, but that particular promise, that particular picture has not been truly fleshed out completely. One of my favorite pastors to listen to, his name is Brian Davis. He's a pastor at Risen Christ Fellowship, says it like this. We believe in the full promise, though we do not see the full picture. We believe in the full promise, though we do not see the full picture. And these wise men, they believed that they would see the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, but they didn't really understand what that truly meant. But they trekked on, hoping that they would see it. And the way I think about it at times is I just got a haircut recently. And when you're getting a haircut with a new barber, at times, you know, as they are halfway through, you take a peek through a mirror and you start to think to yourself, oh, no, what have I done? This is not looking good. I sat in the wrong chair today. This is not what I envisioned. I envisioned I would come out looking fresh to death, and I am not looking like that right now. But you sit there because, for one, it would be really awkward just to get up halfway through, and then you would be more hurt than they would, and you still got to pay them. But then also, you hope that the end result will have you looking fresh to death. That the end result will be what you imagined. And so for these wise men, they trekked on with the joy that they held onto, hoping that they would see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the King of the Jews, the one who they had trekked on for so long to see. And they, once they finally saw that the star had rested, they said, thank you. And now we get to see who we came to see. And one thing I will say is as, you are all, as we are all on our journey, particularly as Christians, the journey is long. And at times it can be difficult. It's not easy. There are struggles along the way. And I don't know what you're dealing with. You may be dealing with a loss of a loved one. You may be dealing with mental health issues. You may be dealing with uh, the loss of a job. I'm not sure what you may be going through currently, but I will say this. There is someone that can relate to the long journey. There is someone that can relate to what you're going through. Jesus Christ can relate to what you're going to. His life was the ultimate catch-22. His life was a life in which he did everything correctly, and yet he was crucified for it. I want to take us to Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and it says this. Therefore, since we, have, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus on the cross went to the cross obeying his father because he knew that there was a bigger picture he knew that there was a, a greater scheme at play, that his father's plan was ultimately to ransom his own life to save the many. 
Jesus' life was the ultimate catch-22, and even on his journey, and even as we look at the wise men as well, they are holding on to joy knowing that it is for a greater goal. And as we get to particularly verse 10, we see earlier that as they have seen the star has rested, they cry out with exceeding joy, with great joy. And it helps us to answer the question, what would make them want to trek all that way? I mean, it's one thing just to reach the destination and be excited about that part, but what makes someone continue on that long journey? And we see it particularly even with the example of Jesus Christ that they held on to joy. They held on to something that was not finite, but something that truly was going to be there solidly. And one thing is we can ask the question or even ask the question to those who want to travel or go through Mount Everest. Mount Everest, a difficult trek to go through. We ask ourselves, why would someone want to climb that mountain? Why would someone want to even risk everything just to get to the summit? A man named George Mallory gives us a great quote about why people would ever climb Mount Everest. He says this, What we get from this adventure is just sheer joy. And joy is, after all, the end of life. We do not live to eat and make money. We eat and make money to be able to live. That is what life means and what life is for. The answer is sheer joy. Just as Jesus did and just as the wise men did, They held on to their joy. They held on to their emotional state of hopeful expectation. They held on to their emotional state of hopeful expectation. They believed that as they were going on this long journey that they would not only see Jesus Christ, but experience Jesus Christ. And that they'll be able to dwell with him and be there for him. And so they continued on in order so that they would reach their intended destination and hope that they would just get to see Jesus. So it wasn't just that they had reached their destination, it also meant they got to experience what they had hoped for, hoped in. And this brings us to verse 11. Let me read this out for us, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And again, what I love about as the author is painting this scene is they painted the emotional state or how they have displayed their uh, joy to Jesus in two particular ways. One, they fell down and worshiped him. And two, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. So one, they fell down and worshiped him, and two, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. And we'll break both of these down. So one, they fell down and worshiped him. To me, one of the most iconic scenes of all time in movie history is the cartoon version of Lion King. The very beginning where we see Rafiki, that baboon, taking baby Simba to the cliff, holding him up, and then all the animals are rejoicing. And I love it. And I particularly do say the cartoon version because 
I didn't think the real version was really that compelling to me. But that's just my particular opinion. But I love that particular scene. And the reason for that is because it shows so much of how they respected their future king. We have Rafiki taking baby Simba all the way to the cliff, and as soon as he lifts him up, all of the animals rejoice because they now see their future king. They have now set their eyes on this king that will rule over them for years to come. And they're rejoicing over that. I think that is so beautiful. But then afterwards, which I thought this part was weird, but it worked for the movie, the clouds open up, a ray of sunshine comes down, and all of the animals prostrate or bend the knee in order to show that we accept him as our king. We accept him and we say that you will have authority over us, and we are totally and completely okay with that. And this is the same with the wise men in verse 11. Then when they see him, they fell down and worshiped him. Out of their joy of finally seeing Jesus, that was their display of affection. That's how they wanted to express. They really wanted to show that when they saw him, they not only just worshiped him, but they showed him that they loved him because that's the greatest gift of all time. They knew that they weren't only in the king of kings, but they were also in the Lord of lords, that this wasn't just a king, but this was the king of the universe. And even as they're in his presence, I find it always interesting that you have these grown men kneeling down to this little child, this baby. It's a crazy scene when you really think about it, that these men, these wise men, these magi have authority themselves in their own countries. And these men who many people come to for spiritual advice to get things done, that they have power and authority themselves, have pretty much prostrated themselves in front of this child. And they are saying that you now have authority over us. We accept you as our king. We give over our authority in order to say that you will have authority over us. And that is a beautiful picture of the gospel and our relationship with Jesus Christ. That he now has authority over our lives. He now sits in the throne of our lives. And I think it begs the question, are you willing to allow Jesus to be the king of your life? Are you willing to allow Jesus to be the king of your life? These wise men wanted nothing more than to have Jesus have authority over their lives. They were giving of themselves in order to say, you now have authority. You are now our king. So it begs the question, are we willing to do the same as these wise men? And number two, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. So out of joy, they gave of their resources. Out of joy, they gave of their resources. And many times we tend to ask ourselves the question, what did the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh actually mean? Did it represent something? Honestly, that's not the total point of the passage. It's not the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage is that these men had valuable gifts, and they wanted to give over their gift to the most valuable thing of all time. 
They had valuable gifts, and they wanted to show that they're willing to give up anything just to be around the greatest gift of all time. So they gave generously and sacrificially because they knew Jesus was the most generous gift of all. They were willing to give it all just to experience, just to be with Jesus, and that was their display of their joy. So it cost them something. But they knew that as it costed them something, that they are gaining so much more by just knowing and being in the presence of Jesus Christ. So out of their joy, it shaped their giving to Jesus. Out of their joy, it shaped their giving to Jesus. And so how does this apply to our lives? How does this help us in the Christmas season to truly embrace what, what is the reason for this season? Well, it's in one way, giving. And many times we tend to think of giving as in a monetary sense or a physical sense, but there's also another way that we can give. We can give of ourselves. We can give of our time. I mean, this Christmas season, there are many people hurting. There are many people in pain. There are many people who are wondering if there is any type of hope. And it is good to give of our resources. That is correct. It's not a bad thing to do, but I think time a lot of times can be more precious. To give of yourself to someone is truly saying that I care about that person. To get to know someone just because they are a human being is really uh, enabling someone to know that they have worth and that someone cares about them. I mean, again, think about the example of Jesus Christ. The God of the universe who was in heaven, chilling in heaven, came down to earth to dwell with his creation. The one who literally created everything out of nothing, created food out of nothing, now has hunger pains. This God came to dwell with us in order so that he could show us what does it mean to live, but also to show how much he loved us by dying on the cross for our sins. So this season, ask yourselves, who is someone you can spend time with? Who is someone you can get to know? The God of the universe traveled to be with us. I think we can walk across the street to be with someone else and to hear their story. And even to share about the greatest story ever told, the greatest story of redemption in Jesus Christ. But also we do have another aspect of giving, which is of our resources. The wise men gave of their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now was a willingness to display that they were willing to give it all just to be with Jesus. They were costly and valuable gifts. So they gave sacrificially and joyously. They gave sacrificially and joyously. It wasn't out of duty, but it was truly out of joy that they gave. And they knew that they were ultimately not just giving just to give, but they were giving because it was something bigger than themselves. So even for this, this season, even for the rest of your, of your lives, is it worth giving everything just to see Jesus proclaimed? Is it worth giving everything just to see Jesus proclaimed? 
Is it worth giving of ourselves? Is it worth giving of our resources? Is it worth it? It's a question that we must ask ourselves. It's a question that we must be challenged by. To give sacrificially, but also joyously, because the gift that we have been given is one gift that keeps on giving. It's not just something that stops at us, but it's something that truly does change and transform lives and also transforms the world. And there are ways you can give. You can give to our church. You can also give to the Lottie Moon offering, which you will hear about a little bit later. And both are great ways of being able to reach the nation for the gospel. To be able to see the gospel going forward and lives change is something that is far bigger than ourselves. And so there is a challenge in, in even this scripture and in the gospel. What are we willing to give in order to show our expression of how joyous we are just to be given the gift of Jesus Christ? So even as we end, our active generosity shouldn't flow from a heart of duty, but it truly should flow from a heart of joy. One in which we have been given the greatest gift of all time, and we are now a part of the greatest redemption story of all time. That Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, enabling us to reach our destination, that destination being able to dwell with the Father for eternity. Dear Father, I thank you again just for everyone being here, for the opportunity that we have to be reminded of what the Christmas season is all about. Father, I pray will we be reminded that our giving just isn't of our resources, but of our time and of ourselves, and will we be willing to continue to ask ourselves the question, Are we willing to give all authority to Christ in our lives? I pray this in your most glorious name. Amen.